listening to History Out Loud, Chat from the Stacks, a podcast by Coldale Libraries. Presented by Jill Carpenter. We're back. Welcome, listeners, once again. And welcome our regular guest, Sarah Browning. Hello. Um, today's topic is something that Sarah has been researching. And if I just say, it's a historical account of um, something that happened with regards to a brass band competition. I want to start just by reading a quote, because um, I think we need to introduce the whole idea. I mean, I'm from Yorkshire. I, I know what brass bands means to Yorkshire people, but some people might not. So this quote is from the Todmorden Advertiser and Hebden Bridge Newsletter. That's its full title. But I think in future, for shortening purposes, we're just going to call it the Todmorden Advertiser. What do you reckon? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So this is from the Todmorden Advertiser from um, the 16th of September, 1898. It's a letter, by the way. It's a letter that somebody is writing into the, the newspaper. The brass band contesting season, wrote a musical journal's correspondent recently, has reached its zenith. In the north here, it is no unusual experience during the summertime to find three or four band contests taking place at different centres all on one day. So with that as an introduction, um, Sarah, why, why are brass bands such a big deal? here and um, in the north of England? Um, it's, a, it's a combination of things. I mean, brass bands are almost on a par with like cricket clubs in terms of the way that they formed up around different employers, different areas of the town. And it's a way of people to get together and, you know, entertain themselves. And because it's music, because there's a, a performance element to it, it has a certain cachet that perhaps sports don't necessarily have and, and it's something that you see later on in some of the correspondence that we're going to cover where people mm. talk about um you know like well th th this is nothing at all like cricket this is nothing at all like sports when they're arguing about different nuances of you know how best to in a pure manner cultivate <laughs> press <laughs> camps this all sounds this all sounds very cryptic and strange but you'll understand this is high drama um this whole thing I was, I was reading into the history of brass bands and I found a really interesting article and it talks about how the industrial revolution um, caused urban areas to become more populated and saying that people sort of gradually lost the opportunity to partake in traditional rural entertainments and pursuits and so they turned to brass bands um, and I think maybe that's a little bit of an oversimplification. <laughs> it talks about how brass bands, the oldest brass bands performed sort of under these circumstances started as early as 1832 in um, South Wales in Monmouthshire in a mining community and that was the Blina band and it sort of spread across you know England and, and Wales and Scotland and um, as the physical technology of musical instruments began to improve and you began to be able to get things like reeds more cheaply um, it became more accessible to working people and that also helped it grow but most of all um there were lots of contests and competitions and there was money involved so i guess that's that's sort of the the more base 
element of the, the rise in popularity of brass bands was that where you've got lots of competition and something that people enjoy singing, you can charge and you can begin to have contests and you can begin to have monetary financial uh, rewards for, for playing well. Hmm. Were these brass bands, were they at all connected with people's places of work? It could be, yes. Um, they weren't necessarily financed by people's employers, but they would grow up around a place of work. Um, and partly that can be because you've got communities that are based around a, a large mill mm. or, you know, worker housing that is connected to a mill. So, you know, it's rented to people who are working there. And especially in the Calder Valley, that works really well because of the way that places like Tomerton and Hebden are formed, where they're basically growing up along the valley bottom. It automatically creates these little pockets of geography where people can have their have a, a small community that feels like a very distinct community, even though it's part of the larger town. And that helps to create that sense of like, this is our band. Do you think with Tomerden and Hebden as well, because Tomerden was more about cotton, wasn't it? And Hebden was more about woolen. Uh, do you think that added an extra sort of divide, you know? <laughs> the Todd Hebden divide. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's something that something else I found when I was going through newspapers years and years ago. I feel like it was before 1898, which is what mm. we're going to mostly talk about. And it was a letter in one of the Tomerton newspapers, basically slagging off Hebden Bridge and saying that um, in Hebden Bridge, they don't have to work as many long hours and they don't have to work as hard because they're dealing with wool um, more often than cotton. And it's not as difficult to weave wool and spin wool. And um, so they, they, they basically, they don't know they're born more or less, you know, Todd folk are, are tough and hard and this and that. And so, yeah, there, there's a little bit of that too, I'm sure. <laughs> But um, it, it's it's hard to kind of pinpoint precisely why the Todd Hebden Bridge rivalry exists um, historically. Yeah. But that was an interesting little window into the, the justification being used. Another thing that we could mention as part of an introduction um, was something that you forwarded on to me. Um, it was a letter and you'd found it on the uh, Salford Digital News Archives. And it's a letter that's been written into a journal called Brass Band News, which I, I think is a really good um, name for a journal or a newspaper. <laughs> it was a monthly journal first published in 1881, aimed at amateur brass bands about the brass band scene and music. Um, and it charted the history of brass bands and brass band activities across the UK and had adverts, contest results, and other articles in it. So the one that you sent me, it was from the 1st of January, 1894 edition. And it concerns the notion of whether band members were paid or unpaid. So do, do you want to, because it's fascinating, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um... So this is this is again where we get into this this idea of a slight bit of snobbery arising around the brass bands and again like I said because it's musical because it's considered slightly more of an intellectual pursuit you get a concern around this which seems to be much more entrenched than you would get around sort of other competitive 
groups of this type that would do different things um, around the issue of like whether people are paid or not and the loyalties that people might have to different clubs and this letter touches on a few different things and, and it's referring to some correspondence that had started in December and correspondence about this issue continues well beyond January into sort of March, April of wow. that year of the Brass Band News. Yeah. Um, but this particular letter, it actually name checks somebody from the Cornhome Brass Band or two somebody's actually to make the point that it's making, which is to refute the idea that had been put forward that being a paid player is somehow a lesser thing than being somebody who, you know, no, nobly partakes of brass bands because they are of a higher plane of existence kind of thing. This previous correspondent and said about Cornhome Band, they have no paid solo players, but have won their position by perseverance and hard work. Yeah, the, the cult of uh, individualism and hard work always pays off. Um, yeah, so this, le this letter is very gently pointing out that this isn't precisely true. And it refers to the Hearst family, um, the Arthur Hearst Sr. and Jr. So Arthur Hearst Sr. was a conductor and he had started out in the Tomerton old brass band and moved to Cornhome after a while. And he was his, his services were very much in demand. And by sort of the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, he was actually a conductor for a number of different brass bands across the sort of Tomerton and Littlebrook areas. And his son, Arthur Hearst Jr., was also a, a bandsman. And the letter is pointing out that Arthur Hearst Jr. was a, was a pub landlord and he worked at the Wagon and Horses in Cornholm, or that, that was where he held the license. And they're pointing out that the members of the band used their influence on the, the owner of the pub to offer the tenancy and the license to Arthur Hearst Jr. at a better rate than had previously been advertised. So he's essentially making more money than he otherwise would because he's been able to secure this tendency at a lower rate because the band wanted him to be in the band. Was he a soloist? They, they kind of like really into getting their soloists, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They were because he was a um, solo cornet player. Right. And um, but this letter is interesting. It touches on a whole bunch of different arguments or issues around the loyalty that somebody would have towards a band, the idea that sort of people owed loyalty to the band that, that brought them up, quote unquote, because that's where they learned all the tricks from and they got their talent from. So they shouldn't be going and playing or for a, a rival band or, or soliciting a rival band to try and give them a, a paid rate, thereby cheapening themselves. But it, there's echoes of issues and arguments now held within say football about trading players to different clubs and you know where where does this where does this player have their club loyalty to you know they, they they keep pointing out that we're nothing like sports you can't have reserve band members everybody has to learn how to play with everybody else we're nothing like cricket we're nothing like football but it really is very much like cricket or football yeah so whatever you're doing in your brass band other brass bands are watching, aren't they, basically? <laughs> Absolutely. One of the ways that this letter ends is saying that um, I think the end will be that we shall have to agree that there are at least two classes of com contesting bands and always must be. So he's basically saying, you know, look, it's we're always going to have people who play because they enjoy it and they don't have the need to make a living 
and we're always going to have people who need to work to make a living and either either have to play on the side or need to leverage their membership of a band to get a job that pays them well enough to live and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that we just have to accept it but it's it's that idea it's the idea of purity which band is more lofty which band really represents something more than just a band um or the competition yeah yeah or the competition i mean it it is interesting to see people kind of debating like why why are we having these brass bands what is the point of these bands and really the point was just to entertain people and it was it was interesting it was nice to see this letter pointing out that you know really we're here to entertain people and you can't you can't get wound up about the fact that some people are doing this to make money because we all got to make money. It doesn't explicitly say that, but that's kind of what he's trying to get at. Yeah. If we move on now to the actual brass band competition, the one with... um, Drama, messy drama. It's a soap opera. Um, We start by saying, which we've touched on before, that the rivalry between Hebden Bridge and Todmorden is pretty long-standing. And it also existed in terms of brass bands, didn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes. And and I mean, and you're you're a Hebden girl and I'm a Todd girl. And you know, we're we're friends. We've put all this aside. We know it still goes on. We know people still make snide comments in both directions. And it's yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, this particular competition was held in Centre Vale Park at the end of August 1898 and it was was held to replace an athletics event which was usually held in conjunction with Tompton Flower Show but it had been cancelled because the weather prior to the festival had made organisers cautious about putting on such a display so poor weather so we can say that from the start can't we? Yeah for August. So um, there were lots of bands around the area who were taking part. There were 16. Is that quite a lot, really, for a competition? It sounds it. It would have been for somewhere around here, definitely. Um, yeah. The, 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 big, the big brass band competition that was held every year was at Bellevue in Manchester. Okay. And that would, that would be the one where people would come from all over the north to play. Um, but normally the brass band competitions and the Calder Valley area, you'd have probably seven or eight because they would be doing other things at different times. There wasn't really a, a set date for particular competitions. They just were held here, there, and everywhere. And it wouldn't be uncommon for one or two bands to not be able to make it because they were engaged elsewhere at some other event or competition. Yeah. So which band? I mean, we'd have to go through all 16, but who were the key bands that that were playing? Um, well, yeah. Like you said, 16 bands, we had them from Burnley all the way to Skipton coming to Centre Vale um, to play. But the main bands for the purposes of the drama were the Tomerton Brass Band and the Hebden Bridge Brass Band. Um, it, Bottom sort of is mentioned within the article, but that's just because they were one of the Todd bands that were playing and they were on right before Hebden Bridge. They're the, they're the main ones who are involved in this. Um, and it's probably worth also mentioning before we start that the run-up to this was that there'd been a number of competitions happening over the course of June, July, August, 
and the last three before this one, the Hebden Bridge Band had come first in all three of those competitions. Okay. So they were on a roll. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep that, keep in mind, they were on a roll and at the top of their, top of their game. This large number of bands, 16 bands, it meant that playing had to continue into the night. Yes. Um, so it would have felt like a long day, 16 bands. I'm sure the band members were tired. I'm sure the audience was a bit tired. And this this may well have played into what happened. Oh, definitely, definitely. And um, the, the order of play would have been determined by drawing lots that morning. So everyone would have turned up to find out when they were going to be going on. So, um, so yes, yeah, so the people who had come to support individual bands also would not find out until the day when their band was coming. So the people who supported different, different bands, different groups, they may have been there all day. They may have been going back and forth. That, that's also relevant to what's to come, I think, um, because it's, it's a long day for everybody. It's fair to say that um, there might have been a few grouch people around you know, generally speaking. <laughs> and you do wonder whether or not it had been a little bit of a hot summer because um, one of the previous competitions I mentioned where Hebden Bridge won, there was a write-up for it in the newspaper on August 9th of that year, because um, we're in 1898 now. And um, the write-up mentions that a little rivalry prevailed, but taken all round, the crowd were not too prejudiced a thing which has in the past caused more disturbances at brass band contests than anything else. So that's another little bit of context here. Yeah. Which is that there is a history of people being a bit rowdy. Um, and also, you know, there's already been a little bit of trouble. Not not much, but just a, just a smidgen. I think in one of the papers it mentions that um, more than one judge has been known to take flight over Hedge and Dyke to escape the enemy. Um, so, you know, if you, you've got to be pretty careful. Yeah, forget football hooliganism. So this story, uh, in terms of being able to research and find out what happened, is, has been told mostly via toing and froing of letters in newspapers, hasn't it? Which you've been researching. Yes. Do you want to take it up from, from the, the first letter that started it all? Yes, well, the letter that started it all was printed in the Hebden Bridge Times and Calder Vale Gazette, which, as we were saying before, we'll just refer to it as the Hebden Bridge Times for the sake of not um, having confusion start with uh, which papers are which. And it was two different bits in the paper, and it was the September 2nd edition. And one thing is not a letter, but just a, a short note um, in the paper, and it was saying that Local rivalry is getting altogether despicable when, as was the case at the Tomerton Brass Band Contest last Saturday, the rowdies began to take sides. The unseemly conduct of the Tomerton Ruffs, chiefly silly youth, we are pleased to learn, when a small slip or two were made by Hebden Bridge players, got a smart reprimand from the judge. So that, that's the newspaper editor's take on it. And it goes on for a little bit, but it's... um. It's just saying, you know, basically it's, it, it was dark, it was late. The Hebden Bridge band made a few slip ups. A few people were really rude about it, um, but it doesn't really go into a lot of detail. The detail comes in a letter that was written to the Hebden Bridge Times, which was printed on that date as well. And that's the letter that gets reprinted in the Tomerton Advertiser the following week that 
kicks off this this drama that runs for about three weeks in the Tomerden paper. So this letter, it's it's not signed by name. The person has signed it, which quite often happens in newspapers, isn't it? They, don't, they never seem to use the real name. So it's signed, fair play all round. Yeah, go on. <laughs> so the letter essentially goes into detail about what occurred and what rowdyism happened. And it's hilarious to read just because of the way that people phrase themselves back then. They start off their letter saying, um, as a spectator at the brass band contest at Tomerden, I should like to call to public attention the disgraceful conduct the Hebden Bridge Band were subjected to. I may say that I have no interest whatever in any of the bands. I simply went there as a lover of good music. So, you know, I'm, I'm not biased. I just wanted to listen to the music. And it goes on about how, you know, I'd, I'd heard a few bandsmen say they dreaded playing in the dark. Um, and it was plainly evident that great rivalry existed in a few of the bands. At the moment the Hebden Bridge Band was announced, they were treated with hostility. Their three recent successes had evidently engendered bad feeling. And instead of being received as the local champions, they have undeniably proved themselves. It seemed to be a determined plot on the part of a few that they should not win again or at least an attempt should be made to bias the judge by publicly demonstrating that a decision in their favor would not be a popular one. So, um, so yeah, the, the sort of idea that, you know, they're a bit big for their boots, we got to take them down a notch. Um, yeah. That's what, that's what the letter writer is saying has in the crowd as a feeling. We should mention as well that um, the, the fact that it was dark plays a very big part in this story, doesn't it? Yeah. And something which I think sounds quite charming, but obviously nobody really likes it, is that the bandstand was lit with oil lamps at each of the four corners, which sounds lovely, but it's probably not enough light. It's not enough light, no. And and again, you've been there all day. It's it's the end of the summer. The weather's lousy. Whoever's going on in the dark has been set up for a, a fail, really. Um, and like I say, not not intentionally. They drew lots. Um the letter goes on to say that basically the Heaven Bridge band slip and they make a mistake. But even before that, uh, their very appearance on the stand was a signal for loud hooting. But when the band started and a very slight slip was made in the performance, someone started to scoff and it was indulged in pretty generally to the great detriment of the band. So it, basically the Heaven Bridge band just got booed and heckled. But if it was just heckling, it probably wouldn't have become such a big thing. So even apart from the scoffing and the booing and the hooting, um, the letter finishes by making slightly more serious allegations that there's actually things being thrown at the Hebden Bridge Band. He says, the Hebden Bridge Bandsmen afterwards informed me that this hooting was nothing compared with what they had had to put up with. I inquired how, as I must admit, though quite close to the enclosure, I could not see all that took place in the dark. One man, I believe his name is Dixon, showed me his arm and complained that he had been struck with a bottle whilst on the stand. Others said they had felt sods whizzing past their heads. One of the players, I was told, had had a sod jammed inside the bell of his instrument. <laughs> so we've gone beyond some, some youngins at the front going Ooh, at them whenever they made a mistake. We've now got things flying through the air. We've got somebody presumably climbing onto the bandstand and stuffing something down somebody's tuba or something like that. This letter is alleging anarchy has taken place at this competition sod is like a clump of mud yeah like a clump of a clump of dirt with all the grass root and grass still stuck in it yeah so it'd be quite hard if it hit you you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be nice to have one thrown at you <laughs> certainly so yeah and then the letter ends with referring to the judge's remarks at the end 
saying that I emphasize the judge's remarks that such scenes are a disgraceful shame. So he's kind of backing up what he's saying by saying, well, even the judge at the end said this was ridiculous. He's not writing on behalf of any of these bandsmen and he yeah. doesn't blame the managers of Tottenham Floral and Horticultural Society. He's trying to kind of say, hey, I'm just an, I'm just an bystander with um, nothing to gain here. And then the Hebden Bridge Times adds a note, a little short note. Yes, well, that was the bit that I mentioned at the beginning, just saying that what happened was a disgrace. And But the Hebden Bridge Times in the note conceded that the Hebden Bridge Band were fairly beaten on the day, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did admit that, you know, mistakes were made and whether or not it was fair that they were made because of the time of day or people being you know, rude to them, it, they still did not perform to the best of their ability. So what happened then? Well, then the Tomerton Advertiser picked up the story uh, the following week. And it's probably worth mentioning as well, because we, we talked about the brass band news. Somebody at the Todd Advertiser definitely read the brass band news and was definitely a very keen aficionado of brass bands because the brass band news gets mentioned a lot in the Todd Advertiser. Um, it gets quoted a lot when talking about brass bands. I think somebody at the Todd Advertiser, there, there's a double loyalty both to Tomron in itself, but also to the, the reputation of their band and not wanting this to sort of be a thing that's held against them in, in a more national um, paper because the brass band news was national. People wrote in about brass bands all over the country. So we get to the Todd Advertiser's coverage on the um, 9th of September, and they opened their article about it with the headline, The Disappointed Hebden Bridge Band, Baseless Accusations Against Todd Mordians, Unworthy Dodge to Cover Defeat. So that, that's the little triple headline that goes above the piece that's written in the Todd Advertiser. And they're responding to this letter that had been sent into Hebden Bridge Times. Yep. And the first line of the article, and, and this is what I, I was looking for something else when I originally found this years and years ago, but I thought, I've got to just save this um, <laughs> because this is amazing. So that's how we got here today. So the first line is, the Hebden Bridge Brass Band suffered humiliation at the Tomerton contest, but instead of taking their beating like men, they seek refuge in lies. It's quite, quite strong words. <laughs> You can't imagine many newspaper articles opening with that. Yeah. Um, Going straight for the jugular. Exactly, exactly. So it then goes on to quote that letter that was sent to the Hebden Ridge Times almost in full. It, it leaves out the last bit where it specifies the name of the bandsman who had said he'd been hit with a bottle and that sort of thing. But then it adds in as well, um, specifically referencing this allegation that things were thrown. An advertiser reporter yesterday interviewed Mr. Joseph Stansfield, who had charge of the bandstand at the time referred to, having, in fact, undertaken to look after the lamps, etc. Mr. Stansfield, who says he could not have been aware of it had anything of the kind taken place, declares most emphatically that nothing whatever was thrown, and that the charge which has been trumped up by the Hebden Bridge folk is, as to the most important point, a pure invention. He is very indignant that any of the contestants should have descended to such miserable tactics. Mr. Sansfield is prepared to meet face to face those who have written so strongly and for their own purposes manufactured so exaggerated a version of the affair. 
At any rate, if the correspondents whom we quoted at the outset are the witnesses of truth, they should not be afraid to give their names when they again write on the subject. Mm. So it's a nice little double whammy of say it to my face and also um, reveal yourselves cowards. So it, it's a pretty, pretty strong uh, rebuttal from the Tomerden newspaper. They do concede um, that somebody had said that, that they were standing nearby and uh, they'd seen something that in the gloom looked like a sod or a piece of cloth thrown and just missed the soprano player. Um, yeah. and, and that basically that Mr Stansfield had been, you know, at the other end of the bandstand when this happened. Mm -hmm. But this wasn't the end of the matter, was it? <laughs> By a long stretch. No, and it's quite funny because as far as the Hebden Bridge Times was concerned, the 2nd of September was the end of the matter. And they printed that letter and they had that little editorial bit. And that was it. They never referred to this again. The Hebden Bridge newspaper was over it. They had they printed the letter, had their little say, that's that. Mm. You do not see this appear again in their newspaper. <laughs> but the Tomlin advertiser is not prepared to let this go because then we get to the next week and we have another long piece talking about the alleged rowdyism at Tomerden and the subheadline on that piece is Hebden Bridge Bandsman turned out of public house so we're <laughs> introducing a new <laughs> piece to the drama which is now um, they were drunk and it brings up this bit that you quoted before about you know judges taking flight over hedge and dyke to escape the enemy and saying, you know, we, we know this happens. We know that things happen at brass band competitions. We know that things get difficult. And um, they mentioned somebody writing a letter saying that the correspondents who wrote last week on the above subject are evidently laboring under some great delusion. They appear almost frantic because the Hebden Bridge Band did not, for the fourth Saturday in succession, get the first prize. So it's sour grapes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, in coming to Tomerden, they contest, they boasted strongly what they were going to do. This aroused some feeling. It was a wretched day, and one had as much as he could do to keep himself dry and warm. To this effect, the refreshment tent on the field and the adjoining public house at home were both visited, and it goes without saying that a few imbibed, quote, not wisely, but too well, unquote. So it goes without saying, but we are going to say it. Um, <laughs> it was raining, and everybody went and got drunk. They're really, really doubling down on the defense of, um, of the Tomerden people. From their point of view, um, it paints a picture of what actually happened as, as the Hebden Bridge Band took to the stage. And you can, you can visualize it in your head. Hmm. It was almost dark when the Hebden Bridge Band went up on the stand to play their test piece. One or two of their performers gave the signal for a cheer. Now, nobody likes a show off, do they? No, no, especially not in Todd. It says a number of Tomerden lads retaliated to this with a, a faint hoot. It's so beautifully worded, so beautifully yeah. worded, I know. And that bit is great because it then goes on to say that that's aggravated the Hebden players, and at least two of them turned around to the audience and indiscreetly put their thumbs to their noses, which is, which is very Shakespearean. Yeah. Um, a third picked up an empty bottle, which had been used by a previous band, and threw it off the stand amongst the crowd. Infuriated by these proceedings, the crowd hooted and the bottle was thrown back onto the stand, but it seemed to hit no one. I ask, who was to blame so far? <laughs> yeah, bottle was thrown, but they threw it first. 
But it's not off to a good start, really, is it? You've got a band that is appearing a little bit full of themselves, taking to the stage and and everyone wants to take them down a peg or two. It's got that sort of edgy feeling to it already, hasn't it? It does, it does. And this is one side of the story. This is one side of the correspondence. That's the the thing that you see here. You've you've got two very polarised accounts of what happened. Mm. Um, But it's just the the way that the Tomerton side's account develops and enlarges itself (laughs) over the course of a few weeks is really really spectacular because we, we've gone from nothing of the sort happened to well it did happen but look they're the ones who they're the ones who started it. they deserved it it goes on to say that most of the hooting was provided by um mainly small boys in front and it says you know as to sobs being thrown i saw none and never heard a complaint from any of the bandsmen but to go so far as to say that one player had a sod jammed into the bell of his instrument stamps the letter of fair play all round as coming from a person of wonderful imagination and a special gift in the way of exaggeration when it suits his case. When the band started playing, in spite of their bravado, unfortunately, unfortunately for them, in the opening, the soloist, uh, was it the cornet, made a, a, a mistake, played a bum note. <laughs> Yeah, and um, it says it, it naturally raised the laugh, which it would really. I mean, oh yeah, you go on stage and and you sort of like saying, "Hey, yeah, we're hat trickers. We're gonna beat you again." And then um, within like the first three bars of playing, you you've made a mistake. Of course, everyone's gonna <laughs> laugh. <laughs> well, it's exactly the same as when you're in the pub and someone drops a glass and everyone goes, "Whoa!" Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's <laughs> literally the same thing. That 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 letter finishes with saying, um. I've heard of more than one Hebden Bridge man being turned out of Tomerton public houses the same night for disorderly conduct. The injured arm or elbow, the jamming of the instrument, and all such rubbish might then have taken place. The injuries had to be accounted for at Hebden Bridge, and I suggest this is the sequel to the disgraceful scene at the Tomerton Brass Band contest. So yeah, it's saying, you know, everyone was in a state, and if anybody woke up the next morning with bruises on them, it's not because of anything that happened at the actual contest it's because they were all off their heads here and there in the public houses so after this um piece that was further slandering Hebden bridges and their conduct that night um mm-hmm. the following week the top and an advertiser uh they published the judge's remarks from some of the bands who played that day but they apparently didn't have space to include the remarks on the losing bands, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is, because you'd think they would they would want to back up a lot of their allegations about how Hebden Bridge roundly deserved to be thrashed. Um, you, you you would think they would want to continue with that, but but they, they don't have space. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to put in the paper. It's a busy time of year. You know, you think, well, you wouldn't think necessarily to not give them the benefit of the doubt if you're just a casual reader, perhaps. Mm. Um, but the thing is, there's two newspapers in Tomerton at this time. There's the Tomerton Advertiser, and then there's also the Tomerton and District News, which is a different publisher, different editor, different staff. A lot of the time, they, they reprint a lot of the same things. Um, but the Todd District News... Which, which we, we have to say has kept very quiet up until this point. Yes, has not re- referenced any of this at all up to this point. Um, they find space to print 
the judge's remarks about the Hebden Bridge Band's performance. And when I found this, this was when I was just like, this is a soap opera, this is a series, um, please somebody dramatize this and put it on the BBC. Because they go through all the remarks and it backs up Fair Play All Round's letter. So I'll just read a few quotes from here. So it starts out saying um, number 13 band, which is Hebden Bridge. And with the introduction saying good broad opening, but soprano fails and I cannot hear what is going on for hooting which was a disgrace to the contest so straight away. Just, I, can't, I can't even hear the band because you're all making too much noise. And this is a judge who oversees lots of contests. So for him to mark on it. Yes. Um, so the next piece starts well, but euphonium blurs and soprano does likewise. And the public helped them on by hooting. Not a good figure. And I don't wonder. <laughs> More hooting, putting them off. The number two piece, soprano fails, but good tone in band. Number three, Soprano fails, Zidbine plays well. Coda opens with good bold tone, but it is too late now. Your chance is gone. This figure was well played with the exception of slips, etc. This is a good band disheartened by the hooting and booing that they receive. This is not Lancashire and Yorkshire contesting. Boys, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves for receiving a band with such a bad spirit. So that's addressed straight to the, the Todd crowd saying like, yeah, this is not the Lancashire Yorkshire cross boundary competition you don't need to be like this this is meant to be a nice thing and you've ruined it you've made it impossible yeah shame on you well, yeah <laughs> yeah essentially so so yeah so the Todd advertiser just <laughs> does not want to touch this but the district news just very quietly you know again without any sort of intro to any of it just here we we, we are reprinting the judges remarks in full on the bands who played at the flower show and at the end of August and no editorializing needed, no commentary needed. Sometimes the facts just speak for themselves, don't they? Yeah. Uh, I'll just leave this here <laughs> type thing, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Precisely. <laughs> so, yeah. So that is the conclusion to the flower show brass band drama of hmm. 1898. It's comical, um, but also it says an awful lot about rivalry and also people's people's passion about mm. the music and and brass bands and and what they stand for and and basically i suppose they are community things aren't they there are still brass bands now in hebden bridge in the summer every year they've had contests mm. in the park and in the square where bands come from all over it's still going on today but probably um with not the same mudslinging and bottle throwing <laughs> no. no not that i'm aware of yeah brass bands will still turn out for events and carnivals and when it was the um the halifax gala they were walking past the library playing as they went down the road with the cars coming behind with the floats on and you know without even amplification they were very loud and it was, and it was lovely to hear mm. and it, it would have been such a nice thing back then um, a nice entertainment and enjoyable and, and accessible to people to go and hear. But it's just the, the things that we associate with professional sport and hooliganism, basically. It's just, I found it fascinating to see it replicated within the brass band fandom. But, but maybe not the right word, but it is in a way because it's that same sort of tribal territorial response to the competitions and 
the brass band news refers to, you know, the, the problem of disgraceful behavior at brass band competitions between factional interests and things like that. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a nationwide thing. And as somebody with no prior knowledge of or interest in this aspect of, of musical societies or musical history, it was really something to read the story, to piece out all the bits of it and track it through the different local newspapers. The ways of behaving in different areas bleed into one another and how we, how we display that, that tribalism in, in different forms. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for bringing that to History Out Loud. Well, any listeners with any other brass band um, drama stories or any other sort of contextual information we could use, please, please write in. I would love to hear it because I'm petty and the pettiness of this really spoke to my heart. So yeah, <laughs> please, please educate <laughs> me further. Well, you can reach out to us on um, History Out Loud's social media. So we have a Twitter account, History Out Loud. Yes and also a Facebook page. There you go. You've been listening to History Out Loud, a podcast by Calderdale Libraries. Produced and presented by Jill Carpenter. And in our next episode, local historian David Glover will be back to talk about legendary author Charles Dickens' visit to Halifax.